Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Online, on DAB and on the talk radio app. Talk Radio. Let's uh, get to my next guest before we uh, get to the news. Tom Tugendhat is chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee and a Conservative MP and joins us now to talk about, well, a number of different things, including the defence spending boost. Um, Good morning, Shatom. Morning, Julia. How um, are you? Very well indeed. A lot of people, uh, particularly those working in the public sector, who are going to be told next week they're going to get a public sector pay freeze unless they uh, work in the NHS, uh, might perhaps be a little, feel a little bit unhappy about it when we know the government has got spare cash because they spent more than £16 billion in defence spending announced yesterday. Um, how are you going to sell that one to the public? Well, I'm afraid it's one of those things that matters. And it just matters because the world is changing incredibly fast. We know that. Uh, you know, you and I have spoken about the threats uh, that are coming up around the world from uh, countries that are trying to change uh, the way we uh, work, the way we travel internationally, the way we trade. You know, countries like China that are fundamentally challenging our system. But we also know that things like technology and COVID and even Brexit are changing the way that we interact. And that's why we really need to invest in in, in how we work with others around the world and how we defend our interests and work with partners. And I'm afraid, you know, I wish we had a choice on this. I wish we did have a, an ability to say, hey, hang on, we'll opt out of the world for a few years and we'll come back when we're ready. But that's just not how it works. Uh, the world is changing around us. Um, do you think that it might be a good idea for MPs to vote to agree that they don't take their more than £3,000 pay rise that they are going to be approved next April at a time when uh, public finances are going to be in the doldrums? Um, you know, you're already on, what, top 10% earnings. Um Reality is, you know, if you're going to be saying to, to soldiers and police officers, you're getting a pay freeze, whether or not IPSA, the body that decides these things, uh, says you're worth an extra 3k a year is kind of irrelevant. Look, I've never negotiated my pay when I've been, been in the public sector. I didn't do it when I was in the army. I don't do it now. Uh, there isn't a good way of doing this. There really isn't. There's two well, ways. There, of, well, there is. Well, there's two ways <laughs> of doing it. Uh, Julia, there are two ways of MPs doing pay. Either an independent group does it or I vote for my own pay. I just don't think it's a good idea for me to be voting to tell you to pay me more. I really don't. I think it's better that I leave it to independent people to decide. I do think it would be wrong for them to put up uh, politicians' pay if uh, public sector workers are not, uh, you know, are not going up at the same time. I mean, you know, I think that's 
I think that's blatantly obvious that politicians should be in line with public sector workers. But I really don't think it's a good idea that politicians decide their own pay. Uh, no, I think a lot of that's the reason why it was taken out of a politician's hands, wasn't it? Um, can I also ask you about the uh, bullying report into Priti Patel? Uh, we understand this report when it has now been leaked, could well be published today. Uh, Boris Johnson has had it on his desk for a couple of months, we're told. But a Home Office inquiry into whether or not uh, she uh, had bullied uh, staff that claims have been made even from her former permanent secretary. Uh, she uh, has found to have breached the ministerial code. She's expected to apologise now. It was said that she had not always met the high standards required of ministers, although they said some of her actions may have been unintentional. They also criticised some uh, senior civil servants as well. Um, is it really tenable for Priti Patel to be found to have bullied her staff and to remain in her job? Well, let's read, let's read what the report says. I haven't read it uh, yet. I will read it when it comes out. Uh, but I think it's important that we stand up to defend those who are bullied and make sure that uh, bullying is stamped out of our uh, institutions and certainly out of the public sector as much as possible. Uh, but it's also important that we have robust politicians who are able to uh, deliver things that people vote for. And, you know, I don't know what this report says, so I'm not going to I'm not going to interpret it. Uh, but I think it's uh, I think it's important that we have people who can, uh, you know, who can defend the things that they're voted in to, to deliver. Um, do you think there are quite a lot of double standards, though? Some of the people who are criticising Priti Patel, including uh, David Lammy, the Shadow Justice Secretary, Labour MP, uh, are people who were quite happy to defend uh, John Burko, common speaker, when he was doing their Remainer work for them in Parliament, even though he faced huge allegations and very, very uh, convi convincing allegations from senior figures uh, about bullying under his uh, leadership. Well, look, the, the only thing I'll say on that is I saw John Burko bully and belittle Andrea Leadsom on numerous occasions on the floor of the House of Commons and indeed uh, in the corridors around it. I actually saw it. I have never seen Priti Patel be anything other than kind uh, to members of the committee staff and to uh, individuals uh, around her. Now, I'm not telling you that that's true everywhere. I don't know. Uh, but that's my experience of Priti Patel. And that's my experience of John Burko. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Online. On DAB and on the Talk Radio app.
Talk Radio. It can never really be another week in this country without some form of wokedom. Well, basically just trying to ruin our fun, particularly as Christmas is approaching. Now, I'm not a fan of the Christmas song being played uh, before 1st of December, whichever song it is. And everyone's got their favourites. Everyone's got the ones they just, oh, if I hear that again, I'll, I'll you know, chop my own ears off. But I say one of a lot of people's favourites, we know it's on every Christmas album, is The Pogue's Fairy Tale of New York. Here's a little reminder of it. Well, I mean, that, that is, to me, one of the sounds of Christmas. But yesterday it was announced that Radio 1 are going to play an edited version of the Christmas hit to avoid offending its younger audience. Now, the hit, featuring Kirsty McCall, of course, uh, the late, great, great uh, Kirsty McCall, uh, released in 1987, um, has been the focus of debate uh, a number of times uh, because of some of its controversial lyrics. It involves a couple who are really quite horrible to each other and includes uh, some words, which um, I'm not going to say at this time of day simply because children might be listening and going to school. And that's because... There are Ofcom rules about these things, and uh, and I and I don't want to have parents having to say, "What does that word mean, Mummy?" However, if you're listening to Radio One, you're going to expect to hear songs with some lyrics that you might not necessarily agree with. But Radio One say they're going to water down the track. They feel their younger listeners are likely to be sensitive to derogatory terms about gender and sexuality. Well, let's talk about this with Baroness Claire Fox. She's director of the Academy of Ideas and also author of a brilliant book called "I Find That Offensive." Good morning to you, Claire. Good morning. Now, I think it's the first time I've spoken to you on air since you've become a Baroness, but I hope you don't mind if we're going to go with the informality of Claire instead of uh, Baroness Fox, if that's all right. Um, now, I just sort of censored myself then, in starting this discussion, uh, not reading out words, which I think a lot of parents would say, well, you know what, I'd rather my six-year-old didn't hear at breakfast or we're in the car or on the way to school or whatever. Um, um, and, um, and, but, and, and people do that all the time. I don't want people to be swearing before the nine o'clock watershed and the like on air um but um radio one said it's specific it's not like you can't use those words they have to be edited out it's because they would be sent they would be they would be sensitive for younger listeners the millennials who'd be upset about hearing words which were derogatory terms for gender and sexuality what do you make of that i think that you put the right emphasis on it these are lyrics in a song in that sense they've got a certain um validity because they're they're what makes the music work and as a consequence the way that the BBC made a decision on behalf of their listeners who they assumed would be offensive for political reasons is an act of censorship and a lot of people have said and I get this you know they think oh this is just people like you Claire stirring up a controversy over a song there's always trouble about these things every year is this part of you stirring up the culture war but I mean I didn't issue the statement the BBC actually issued a statement clearly stating it was going to take this act as a political act and it entreats young people and not the children you're referring to not uh, this morning but actually young teenagers young people in their 20s who listen to Radio 1 who should be and are familiar with the fact that lyrics are part of the art form of whatever song, and there's an awful lot of offensive words in lyrics. So are they going to go through and kind of comb through them and do the same to every single song? Well, seems... that's the interesting thing, isn't it? And we're used to things like, say, I'm thinking Kanye West and Jamie Foxx, um, Gold Digger. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, 
I'm a, hey, I'm a white person. I'm not happy with saying that word. Singing along as a lyric, um, the, the word that rhymes with a gold digger. Um, um, you know, I think I'm pretty sure I've done it when I'm just singing along to the to the original track. But we know on the radio they play it. You, the word is muted. You just can't hear it. You don't even know the word exists if you haven't heard the unedited version. Um, there's a difference, isn't there, between sort of saying, look, children are likely to be listening. It's a family radio show or TV show, and, and we just don't we just don't impose those words on people sort of out of the blue. But but there do seem to be different rules for different artists, don't there? I mean, a lot of the rap songs around the moment, and particularly those uh, by black artists and particularly black female artists, there doesn't seem to be an issue with. I mean, most of the songs by Rihanna and Cardi B, the lyrics are absolutely disgusting and obscene. Now, I can choose to listen, choose not to listen, to buy, to not to buy, but there doesn't seem to be the same issue with that. No, I mean, it, it seems inconsistent, but the most important thing is, are we in a situation where the a radio station is going to make artistic decisions on behalf of the artist. Now, there's a complication here, which is the Pogues say, oh, well, we don't care that they've removed the words. I mean, you know, so I don't want to pretend that the artists are all upset. I object to the fact that a radio station did this on our behalf, as it were, in case somebody's offended. I, but I also think there's a context here. I've been listening to you talking about some of the controversies around COVID mm. and around evidence and data. And I just saw that a film that was doing very well, that was a, a film made by Unlock yesterday, interviewing a doctor. Uh, Dr. Eden has been removed by YouTube. Well, yeah, Mike, let's we've just clarify, had... Mike, Mike Eden, we've had on the show a number yeah. of times, he's a oh, former vice president, show, right? oh, many times, yeah. Uh, um, uh, uh, he's, he used to be a VP at uh, Pfizer. Incredibly, you know, absolutely knows his stuff. He's not random bloke off the street with a theory. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah, and he's, he's again, he's producing you know, evidence-based you know, arguments about what why he believes that the, the epidemic is over and, and, you know, and testing is the problem rather than, uh, you know, we're not seeing excess deaths, etc. cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. But the fact that that stuff gets taken off YouTube as opposed I mean, to it, discussed and debated. After, I saw lots of people watching it yesterday and discussing it, discussing for and against, you know, pros and cons. Mm. Uh, some people had really enjoyed the video, found it informative. It was removed today. I, also yesterday, the Law Commission came out with a report of potential uh, changes they want to make to the law around hate crime, which included, by the way, the idea that they should be the removal of the exemption for home properties in yeah. terms of whether you say offensive things. So the point about this fairy tale in New York is it's not just a one-off, is it? The context for this decision being taken, which is you can't hear that, it's offensive. We, I feel as though we're in a more censorious climate. Yeah. And I think that's why people just feel they're being patronised to, treated like children. And if you start saying that things can be banned if they're offensive. We know where that leads. And yeah. the law report, by the way, made it clear that they thought offensive cartoons, and they cited infamous uh, famous, uh, offensive cartoons, should be banned. Now, we've just seen somebody in France beheaded uh, for teaching a free speech class um, about those offensive yeah. cartoons. I would have thought that we should see that this... You know, fairy tale in New York seems like that. Oh, the annual argument at Christmas about whether we should have this word. Let's remember the context here, which is this is about whether we live in a free society and whether free speech exists. 
So it's more important than just some silly little trivial. And that's and that's the thing. And it's about people deciding on our behalf. You're back to last, you know, last night of the problems and Royal Britannia and sort of oh, I don't like these lyrics or someone doesn't like these lyrics and therefore they're unacceptable. Um, and again, even if it's even if it's the majority of people don't like it, it doesn't mean it shouldn't be allowed. And that's that's the key. And we, we, there seems to be so much of, of an appetite now for people to want there to be censorship and control, and that people expect never to be offended. I, it doesn't bother me if someone says or does something that I don't like, unless it personally you know, hurts me or physically, or it is inciting violence or it's abuse. It's, it, should, it, it is currently legal in the law and it should remain legal. And it's important for art. I mean, artistic freedom is an incredibly yeah. important thing for us to defend. So, you know, whether you like the song or not, yes. the point about it is, is that somebody created that as an artistic work. And, you know, think about what it means if you've effectively got bodies of institutions going around saying, no, that's offensive, take it off the walls, you know, cover it up. Now, as it happens, we are getting that. And the whole notion of, I find that offensive, and one of the reasons I read, wrote the book was because they're increasingly, all you have to do is to say, I find that offensive. And you can get something banned, silence someone, shut someone down. And that is not a healthy society for a democracy because you need to have artistic freedom, you know, academic freedom and free speech. So I just get worried that this can happen and people say, well, of course, we're in the modern era, we can't possibly have that phrase being used. We will make that decision because we think it could cause damage. And the point you also just made was, Hearing that word might offend someone, but it doesn't mean that that's the end of the world. I'm offended yes. every day. People say things that really drive me mad. But you can't be in a situation whereby you say that if something's offensive, it should be banned. That's the important thing about it. Yeah. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. So let's talk about the prospect of, well, getting this vaccines uh, on the market and getting them rolled out a million people a day. That's what The Sun's reporting today. Let's talk to Professor Hugh Pennington, Emeritus Professor of Bacteriology at Aberdeen University. Good morning to you, Hugh. Hi there. Hi there. Um, I mean, it's all very promising, isn't it? Three vaccines looking like they're on the cards uh, very, very soon. Certainly the Pfizer one could be out, you know, a couple of weeks. Uh, they say basically within hours of it getting approval, they can have it, you know, uh, in doctor's surgeries ready for people to get uh, the vaccinations. Uh, Oxford University vaccine uh, coming very soon. We, we know that the uh, the Moderna one from America, we wouldn't be able to get hold of it until uh, uh, Europe gets hold of it in next Easter. Um, but lots of very promising news. Now we've got the talk about one million a day getting getting vaccinated, recruiting 40,000 extra people to do those vaccinations. Is that, do you believe, remotely feasible and viable? I, I, I would be extremely surprised if it happened. I mean, OK, everybody's pushing very hard to get the vaccine um, delivered. Um, there's a question, of course, about how many people are going to, go to actually get it and who's going to get it, uh, because it's going to be, I think, uh, phased in the way that uh, one might expect. That, you know, people in care homes will get it. Uh, healthcare workers will get it, then the over 80s, and then we'll move down the age groups because clearly this virus is very unusual uh, in that it, it, you know, the, the severe effects of the virus are directly related to your age. So that, that's the right way to do it. Yeah. But on the other hand, 
um, the logistics. Um, well, you know, this year we, we haven't been as good at the logistics <laughs> as, as I think I, many I, people. I think you're <laughs> making a very fair, reasonable point sir, there. I think a lot of people would. I mean, again, we want to be optimistic, but... But it is it is easier to roll out a vaccine that's ready made and just literally like inject people. It is easier to do that and to train people to do it, and and that process is easier and quicker than it is to do swab testing and get those back into the labs and get them processed and get the results out. There, there is an argument that this could be a simpler process than than the swabbing. Well, the the Pfizer one has has the disadvantage that you know the initial stocks have to be kept at uh, minus eighty. Yeah. And, and now that's not a technical issue in the sense that you can you can buy a minus 70, minus 80 freezer, but you've got to have them yeah. and you've got to have them in the right place and you've got to make sure that they're maintained and you've got to make sure that then the vaccines are taken out and put at the right temperature. Yeah. Nobody wants to be uh, jabbed with something at minus 18. No, to but also, I suppose, or, I mean, and two, kind of no, and you also two jabs. It is one thing. I mean, I know that GPs have a real issue you know, from getting mums in with the babies who need a booster jab. Well, they've had the first one. And then they tick that off their list you know, mentally and don't get back for the second one. Um, talk us through what happens in terms of, um, let's just say, uh, within a couple of months, fingers crossed, um, we've got um, most of the, you know, the very ill and elderly people in care homes over 80s vaccinated. They are by far the highest risk. That's when the risk really, really starts hitting. Um, or even over 70s and in a few months after that. At that point, could we be justified in all going back to normal or do we need to wait until, you know, 80, 90 percent of the population overall, including the uh, 20 year olds and five year olds are vaccinated before we can go back to normal life? Well, that's the big question. I mean, basically, this vaccine is going to be used. Well, vaccines are used for two in two different ways. One is to is to protect people. Uh, like like the tetanus jab, you know, if you get a wound and you get soil in it and you might get tetanus and you have a jab to protect you against that. We, we all have that, um, you know, early in life and so on. And But that doesn't actually get rid of the bug. The bug is still out there. Now, um, the first phase of this vaccination will be to protect people just as in the way that a tetanus jab protects you against getting a, a wound infection. It, it stops the bad effects of that happening which is why we're going for the elderly. And then, of course, the healthcare workers are much more at risk as well. And then we have to worry about, well, we don't have to worry about it. The population would like to see the vaccine being used to stop the virus dead in its tracks, get rid of it, so that we can then go back to the old normal. Yeah. Uh, now, that is, a, that is a big question in the sense of how many people do you have to vaccinate to get to that position? And that's when really the general population comes in because a lot of people are going to have to be vaccinated who don't actually need it for protection. They need it to protect other people. Yeah, and, and that's the key thing, isn't it? That's where I think a lot of people are holding out a little bit too much hope, said, oh, we just get this, this small number of people. Get A, the people who need the protection isn't a small number of people. Um, we are talking many millions. Uh, but the fact that it's going to take longer to roll it out to everybody, isn't it? Um, let's also talk about masks. Um, a long-awaited Danish study into the efficacy of mask wearing and whether or not that does actually uh, stop the virus being uh, transmitted. Finally been published. They spent uh, weeks and weeks and weeks uh, with virtually every single major uh, medical uh, magazine and uh, publication like the Lancet and others refusing to publish the study. It has now, after being leaked, has now uh, been studied. And it is basically, <laughs> to all intents and purposes, it is basically found that there isn't really any noticeable, significant, uh, verifiable effect on people wearing masks or not wearing masks in terms of them 
being at higher risk of the virus. They basically had a control study of people working in a supermarket in the in, in Denmark um, and they had 3,000 participants and people were told either to wear masks or not wear masks. Um, and uh, and so it, sort of, it was effectively a randomised control trial. But it's the highest quality scientific evidence we have yet so far. What it has shown is that for the person wearing the mask, there is really no difference whatsoever in terms of their risk of contracting the virus. However, um, what it doesn't show, because it'd be impossible to carry out this test, is whether or not it puts other people at lower risk if you wear a mask. But what do you make of this, uh, not only this uh, this study being published, how little coverage it seems to have had, because my God, if it it said yes, 100% this keeps people safe, that'd be all over the front pages. And the fact that um, these peer-reviewed journals, medical journals, refuse to accept this publication. Well, this is all very sensitive stuff because mask wearing uh, has become a very it's become a very political yes. issue. You asked, I mean, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat determines whether you wear a mask or not, which is daft. It's daft. Yeah. I mean, it, it's nothing to do with the science. It, it's to do with politics. And clearly mask wearing has become a kind of iconic sort of thing. You wear a mask, you're doing good, you're protecting yeah, You're a yourself. good person, yes. That's right. And it's so obvious, you know, if you're wearing a mask, you know, everybody can see that you're wearing one and everybody can see if you're not and all that kind of stuff. I'm not surprised by the results that basically I think the general view among scientists is that wearing a mask, if you've got the virus, makes it much less likely. Well, it makes it less likely you're going to infect somebody. But if you're wearing a mask to protect yourself, it's much less um, satisfactory in that respect, particularly the way people wear masks. Yes. They're, you know, they're, 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 it might have a, 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 some beneficial effect, and there are some who say that, well, it may not even be a good thing under certain circumstances. So wearing a mask is not particularly protective. And just think about it. You know, there's a, there's a gap around the edges, and it falls off uh, down your face, or you're not having it um, covering your nose. And we know that the virus basically likes living up people's noses and all that kind of thing. And that's the place where it gets yeah. in and but, starts off. But the key so, thing is we, we need to, when these, there are studies showing you know, the latest, most uh, comprehensive evidence, we, we should be told about it, shouldn't we? Well, I think, I think so, really. And I think it should be done in a way that basically can convince people that, yes, wearing masks is a very good thing if you've got the virus uh, because it makes it a bit less likely or less likely Hard to say precisely, but it does reduce the risk that you're going to infect other people. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.